gospel reading for today is actually one that we're kind of familiar with because here at St. George's we say it um, every Sunday now as we begin our Sunday worship. Uh, we, you know, love the Lord your God with all that you are, right? mind, soul, heart, strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's actually really great that we actually get a chance to hear the context of what Jesus is talking about. Um, the past few Sundays, we've been uh, getting to know Jesus, and he's been having these intense debates with the religious leaders of his time. And then basically, they've been prodding him, uh, they've been challenging him, uh, challenging him, saying, you seem to speak with a kind of authority, and we don't believe you, kind of, you have this authority. And we're finding ways to undermine you. And Jesus, uh, like a Jedi master, just dodging and blocking them and putting them in corners, and they can't get them. And even last week, they asked him a question about paying taxes to the empire that was meant to, at the very least, completely silence his voice in terms of the grassroots political movement that was around him, or have him murdered by the government. So that's the kind of threat that Jesus posed. And it, so he's been doing well in the debate so far. And today we see, as the debate's been going on, we've been getting closer and closer to the heart of what it means to follow God. And we've been talking about that every Sunday. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about speaking the truth, especially when it relates to justice and how uncomfortable that can be to speak the truth to the powers of the age, also to family and friends who are not, not acting right. When they're hurting, it's hard to say things out loud. And now Jesus is essentially asked, well, if you had to encapsulate what God is all about, what God is saying to humanity, what would you say? What's the, the key to the law? And then Jesus gives the classic answer. Love God, the Lord your God, with everything that you are, and second if like it, right, two sides of the same coin, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when we hear that, I think a very understandable, especially modern Western move that we make, when we hear that, we're like, well, I'm not sure what loving God means. I'm going to bracket that. But love my neighbor, yeah, sure, of course, we should be loving, we should be kind and Peaceful and gentle, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and then what we do, we say, yeah, love is something like this. You know what? Um, you should do whatever you feel in your heart is loving and kind. I'll do whatever is loving and kind in my heart. As long as we're not hurting anybody, right? As long as we're not hurting anybody, just live and let live. And let's be loving to each other. Let's leave it at that. A kind of, uh, we reduce the words of what Jesus shared in the word of God to a kind of a, a polite slogan. You know, I have my version of love, you have your version of love, and let's just be kind to each other. And I want us today to explore that. It's a very understandable way of thinking about love and engaging in society. And I want to also point out that it's exactly what Jesus doesn't say love is. It's actually really important for us to see exactly what he's saying to understand it, right? Because it's also very easy to live out uh, a fictional version of love that isn't love, but actually it's the source of a lot of the, the grief that we experience in our day-to-day lives. See, the, the, what Jesus quotes about love, love God as all you are, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, that's uh, in the Jewish tradition, that's called the Shema, right? That's Shema, that's like the 
uh, the encapsulating mantra of that beautiful figure. And Jesus is actually quoting scripture when he says that, love your neighbors yourself. It's found uh, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And if you read that verse, love your neighbors yourself is actually the second part of a verse. The first part has to do with, um, I believe it is not taking vengeance on your neighbor if they, if they grief you. And in fact, that 18th verse in that whole chapter is a whole list of God's commands of how you treat humans. And a lot of things are said in that. For example, he talks about uh, don't, uh, don't sexually assault slaves. Don't take your daughters and sell them to prostitution. This is how you deal with your neighbors. This is how you deal with family. There's a whole shape of life that God is talking about. And then Jesus quoting from that is not, so it's not accidental when Jesus quotes from that verse. In other words, when you see Jesus quoting from Leviticus 19, what he's signaling, right? What the original audience would have picked up on, what we tend to miss, right? Because we're not ancient Jews, is that the love of God is set and is found in a very specific context, right? The love of God isn't an abstraction from which we can sort of try to conceptualize and perceive and then decide how it lands to us. The love of God isn't, isn't abstract. It's found in a specific context. And the context informs that love and we're meant to understand that love from that context and then how our lives shaped by that. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Let me share this with you. Hopefully this helps. When he's quoting the Shema, he's quoting Leviticus, that law was given to the people of God when they had just been rescued from slavery in Egypt. Right? So you may have watched the beautiful cartoon Prince of Egypt, which is a great film. I heard of many watch it right now if you haven't. Or maybe you grew up with the, the Charlton Heston class of Ten Commandments. That's what I grew up with in Spanish. It's hilarious to me watching it in English because it doesn't make sense. I grew up watching Spanish. And so the whole story is God empowers this mighty prophet Moses. And Moses goes into Egypt and with the power of God, compels the Egyptian empire to release slaves, the people of God, from slavery. They've been slaves for 400 years. So they're rescued from slavery, they're brought to a holy mountain, and God's going to give them a law. In other words, these laws, these commands, are these, uh, the, the sh- they come together and give you a shape of life. And God says, if you live in this divine shape of life, you will experience what it means to be fully human. You will have a right relationship with your creator God and with your neighbor. This is the ideal I'm sharing with you. In other words, so so here's something that you have to understand from that. If God is giving us the shape of a human life, then God is giving us the shape of love. We receive the shape of love as a gift. And as our lives are shaped by God's love, then we go and share it with others. That's the structure. But in our modern Western age, we don't like that structure. Our structure is, I decide what is loving, and then I will be loving to my neighbor as on my terms. You have to understand that it's completely against the vision that God, that Jesus shares. Love isn't something we make up or decide to turn up. Love is something that we receive from God, and then we share it with the world. That's what Jesus is quoting. That's why he quotes that verse. Love God 
with all that you are, mind, soul, body, strength. Then love your neighbor as yourself. And the issue is, when we decide that we set the terms for love, here's the problem. And I, when I was wrestling with it. Many of you know that I usually preach my sermon to my wife before I come here. And she has first go on there and tell me, this makes sense, this doesn't, or whatever. And when I was talking to her about it, <laughs> I was struggling because she said, this is, we're talking, this is very philosophical. I started talking about utilitarianism and rival versions of ethics, morality. And I don't want to go there. It's not the best use of our time to try to get philosophy this one. But I do want to say one thing. So let's put our philosophy caps for just a little moment, and then we'll quickly take them off. If we say to each other, well, I have my terms. Of, I, I set the terms of how love is for me. You set your terms. And as long as we're not hurting anybody, it's going to be okay. That doesn't work. In a very serious way, we're seeing right now in Israel and Gaza how that does not work. Because when you say love, love your neighbor, and I say love my neighbor, those are undefined, very vague terms that only make sense when you put content to those terms, right? So an ancient Spartan could have said to you, well, sure, you should love your neighbor. Your neighbor's only your tribe, right? Not the next city state, just your tribe. And one way you love your neighbor is that when you have a child and you check it and it has perceived weakness, you go to the precipice and you throw it over the precipice until it dies. And that's how you love your neighbor because you ensure your tribal strength. Right? Who among us today would take our infant and be like, you seem weak. And the whole crowd, yeah, toss it over the mountain, throw up tongue, throw it off. No, our version of loving would be more like, um, let's take it to the doctor, there's a specialist, maybe some physio, special care, right? You have uh, peanut allergies, let's uh, do, you know, segregate your food so that you eat healthy foods, right? We wouldn't toss them. So you notice there, both people are saying that's love. Both would say, love your neighbor, but they're radically different definitions of what it looks like. Just on a very superficial analysis, analysis I did, did right there, if we had neighbors who were Spartans, we'd have a war. So you see the illusion that we tell ourselves, I know what love, love is, and I set the terms. You do you, I do me, and we'll just have peace. That really only works for us because we live in a very special protected bubble here in the West. And our precious bubble is purchased at the expense of other disruptions in other countries. They pay for our peace that we have here, right? The clothes that we wear, the food that we get, shoes that we wear, the devices, right? Our iPhones are incredible technology that are so affordable to us because Somewhere in, in, in other parts of the world, they have making them like insane prices that is like near slavery, if not just slavery. Like we know that, right? We can't be like, what? We know that. We know that. So our myth, you have your definition of love, I have my definition of love, that's a myth. It's actually a product of our Western capitalist bubble. And Jesus knew that. Because he's an oppressed minority at the height of the power of the Roman Empire. He understands, no, love isn't what you make up. I'm sure the Romans thought they were loving. That was there as they were brutalizing and enslaving their lessers. Air quotes for the recording. Right? 
No, love is not something we make up. Love is something we receive from God, the terms that God says, because only God is perfectly just, good, loving. Where does that leave us? Well, we've been asking for Sunday, what does it mean to follow Jesus today? Loving God, here, here's, here's a clue here. Loving God and loving your neighbor is not an easy thing. To learn how to do that with divine love is actually a process of a, it's a lifelong process, right? Because the love of God is extremely radical. Just one throwaway sentence that Jesus says that we kind of gloss over. We, Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Can you you imagine that being said in the midst of the hostilities between Ukraine and Russia? Well, right now in Israel and Gaza. And what we should be doing is loving your enemies and blessing those who curse you. It seems insane. And yet that's what Jesus is talking about. There's a shape to love. And it's costly. So as a Christian, a Christian is a person who submits their lives to be shaped by the love of God and then submit our ideas of what love is and say, in this life lived following Jesus, I am completely open to being surprised at what love turns out to be. I submit my preconceived notions, usually uncritically absorbed by the culture of the age, and I look towards Jesus and say, Jesus, what is love? You teach me that, right? Because I'll tell you something, he's the one. I was puzzling why the lectionary included the Moses reading, right? Basically the death of Moses. If you you notice as Moses was reading it, it gets to his his death, what did it say about him? He was, had vigor, right? Tail of body and his full strength, eyes undimmed, so his full cognitive faculties, he was fully there when he, when he, when he uh, gave up his life. That is a heroic, you know, as a story, that's a heroic death. Full strength, eyes undead. And even last week when we read his story before this one, what did he do? He's having a conversation with the living God and he says to God, I want to see you. Can I see you? I've had all these years, decades. My life following you. I want to see you now. God says, Moses, you can't see me. Anyone who sees me, they're going to die. The best I can do is you're going to stand over there and I'm going to walk by you. I'm going to tap your shoulder and then you're going to look my direction. You can see the back of me. That's the best I can do. Which is incredible. I know we missed that. But for uh, an ancient audience to even, someone saw the creator God and they lived, this shoulder is back. And Moses is regarded as a top-tier prophet, at least among three major traditions in this world, right? Islam, Judaism, Christianity. He's a very important figure in human history. And he saw the back of God. Incredible. And then he died. And yet today here, I'm not preaching you Moses, though he's a very wonderful prophet, and we should definitely learn from his story of life. 
I'm preaching you Jesus because Jesus not only saw the shoulder, the back of God, he's in full communion with God. And in fact, he is God. Come to us. You think it's amazing? The ancient people bring, it's amazing. They saw Moses. Someone saw the back of God. And today we can say, we can experience the fullness of God because we get to see God and not die. In fact, for us to see Jesus is to live because he gives us his life and he gives us his love that we might share it with each other. That's an incredible gift. So as Christians, that's an incredible resource we have to love this world, but we have to submit our ideas, what we think love is, receive God's, and then go out there and be loving, which means forgiving, blessing, loving your enemies, blessing those cursing. That's hard. How do we do that? Because we, each one of us here, I put good mind, each one of us here has someone in our life that we're not talking to, that we struggle to think about. You know, I've shared with you guys my story with my dad, a lot of abuse there growing up. Reconnecting with him is it's a hard journey, right? Well, I love my family, sure. And I'm grateful that every Sunday I can be here with you guys, my family, and we have this moment together and then we come to the Lord's table, right? Because what is the Lord's table? To wrap this up, it's God giving us his body, his blood, his life, his grace. It's not just a, it's not feeder up here, right? This is God sitting at the table for us and feeding us his food, his spiritual food that empowers us to do that which on our own we can't do. So I invite you today. I know your life. I'm not asking you to tell me everything. You know your life. More importantly and beautifully, God knows it too. He sees you all the way down. The parts that you don't share with other people that you're ashamed of, God already knows that. He sees it fully. And he loves you. No shame, no judgment. He loves you. He loves you so much that he saw that. And it says in the Bible, he was fall with the joy set before Jesus went to the cross. He was excited about you to give his life that you might live and have his love. That is a person you can trust. And so that's what I want you to be thinking about when you come to the Lord's table and you see that God loves you. He wants to share his love with you. He wants to transform your heart and your life so that you can love like he loves and be an agent of change, of peace, of justice in this world. I hope that you want that. Don't settle for polite religion. Don't settle for the polite version of uh, Christianity, which isn't real. Accept the gift of Jesus. Only in him do we find our healing and our hope. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks and praise for your many blessings, God. And we thank you that the love you have for us isn't mere sentimentality, but that you have lived out your love for us. In fact, you've given your life for us in the cross of Jesus Christ. And you offer us your love. God, I pray for each person in this room that, we might, that you might grant us the courage to accept the gift of your love. That we might be challenged in our heart Maybe the beliefs we have around that that don't actually cohere, that we might choose to love as you love, and that we might be a blessing to this world around us. This we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.